On your journey through life, you are the hero. There are times, however, when it is beneficial to have an advisor to guide you along your path. Welcome to the Smart Money Simplified Podcast with Brent Mikosh, certified financial planner, certified investment management analyst, and co-founder of MP Advisors, LLC. In this podcast, Brent discusses some of the most important and interesting topics of the day as they relate to finance, the economy, and beyond. Now, on to the show. Hello, and welcome to Smart Money Simplified with Brent Mikosh. Brent, how are you? I'm doing fantastic. You know, I'm here in Arizona, and I always like to rub it into people that are not in Arizona in <laughs> like February, almost March. It's probably... <laughs> 60 65 degrees out slightly different from where you are in nebraska today yeah slightly different it's freezing it's just free i mean i think i told you it was negative 10 wind chill yesterday just ridiculous so i hope you were ready for a roommate <laughs> well i'll tell you human beings were not made to exist in that climate eric i'm telling you yeah gotta, yeah. gotta come down here to the sunshine yeah absolutely well i know that we could talk about this all day but uh you've got nate in studio today you've got a guest and and uh, i'm interested to hear what you're talking about I'm really excited about this conversation. I've been on this kick lately, really talking to people that are that have breakthrough innovative technologies in healthcare. And Nate Hill is a territory manager at Cerebell. Uh, what they do is they, they develop portable EEG systems. They're basically like rapid response systems that uh, that are pretty game. It's pretty game changing technology in ways that Nate's going to describe to us, and it really kind of builds on this theme from our last conversation about how you know this sort of confluence of things between the mobile devices everyone has in their pockets between the technology that's coming on between the ability for ai to read some of these things have come together to i think the future delivers some pretty fantastic healthcare to people in a variety of ways that hopefully it's gonna be a lot more affordable and accessible as well but um, we're going to dive into a lot of that stuff. But Nate, thank you. Thank you for joining me. Absolutely. And let's just start with this. So, all right, we can talk about EEG systems. We can talk about you know mobile technology and healthcare and all that stuff. But give me a little bit of background in terms of who you are and how, how you got to where you are today. Who I am. All right. So I've been fortunate enough to spend the vast majority of my career in medical device sales. Let's see, I started in 2005. I worked for a company called Boston Scientific, a very large company. I uh, spent uh, seven years there, uh, had a great time from there, was able to uh, join the company called Carl Stortz. It's a sales leader. Uh, so I ran the uh, West region uh, as part of their uh, airway management division. Great experience as well there too. Uh, from there, I was hired by a company called Bard, which has now become Becton Dickinson uh, as a, initially as an IDN manager, but then transitioned. I was actually asked to move into a sales leadership role. I spent uh, six years there. And then actually made a little bit of a left turn into software sales. And so worked for a local uh, company based in Scottsdale uh, that did not call on healthcare. This was a multifamily industry. And uh, there was uh, going to be a launching of an AI-based, uh, a bot basically that conversed with uh, lease prospects and uh, did that uh, for two years. And and that led me perfectly really to Cerebell where it's it's a combination of the two, really. It's healthcare, uh, but it's software as a subscription, SaaS, and there's an AI element to it. And uh, really kind of marries uh, what I've done, what I did the last two years with Leasehawk, and also what I did for the almost 16 years prior to that in medical device. So tell me tell me a little bit about the product that Cerebral is making right now. Okay, it's uh, rapid response 
EEG. Now I'm hesitating to say EEG because we refer, refer to it more as a, a point of care, a brain monitor. Uh, there is a proper EEG that's that's captured with this, but it's really designed for really uh, everybody but neurology within the hospital. And that when I say everybody, it's everybody in the stat environment. So if if it's a uh, the ED, the ICU, uh, med surge floors, uh, and it can be used by by uh, providers that don't normally handle neurological devices, and that's really the the spirit behind it. Is that uh, you know to take a step back, you by comparison, want to understand, you know, conventional EEG and, you know, conventional EEG to read a conventional EEG, it requires a high level of expertise, uh, normally owned by neurology. And so the, the workflow would be that if you're an ER physician in the ED and you had an altered patient that was presenting as if they might have uh, non-convulsive seizures that, that you were, you were unsure, but you had a high level of clinical suspicion, you would order this out. And so that would require uh, an order to the EEG team. With that, there has to normally be a neurology consult so that eventually when that EEG is performed, it would be read by a neurologist and then you eventually get uh, information that you could uh, guide treatment with to the patient. And so uh, that's all well and good and that is the gold standard and there's really no issues with that other than for the stat environments, the ED, the ICU, you know, hospitalists on med surge floors, a lot of times uh, they do have a high a clinical suspicion, but they don't have time. They they'll either have to put in the order uh, and wait, and then in the interim they'll treat that patient as if they are having non-convulsive seizures. So they'll give them anti-epileptic drugs, which again that's gold standard treatment too. I'm not saying there's necessarily anything wrong with that, but that's that's a kind of a you know, the, the practice acquiescing to the technology that's available, Sure, right? EEG, there is a study that, that we refer to a lot called decide, which has basically substantiated that the average time to EEG is, is, is uh, 239 minutes in the hospital. A long time. If there's yeah, a problem, it's, there's a long time. It's four hours. Yeah. And, and it's, you know, the, the five hospitals that, that, that uh, were part of the study were all had very robust EEG infrastructure. So they, it wasn't like they were ill-equipped. They were very highly equipped. Actually, much uh, on the spectrum, they they had much higher capabilities than than most hospitals that that we serve. Uh, but even they were taking just shy of four hours from order to EEG. And so, th- you know, what they realized is that, uh, well, first of all, I've had physicians that were part of these trials tell us that they were actually surprised that that it took that long. They probably would have told me prior to that it, they were getting EEGs quicker. But they were surprised by that length of time, and and so what that leading back to why Cerebell was created was that there was this clinical gap. You know, what do you do? So you know, I've ordered EEG because I have a clinical suspicion that there's irregular neurological activity happening here, uh, and so until I get EEG, I have to treat this patient as if they have it, just in case. Right. Uh, and that does does actually lead to it's not just the time, and it's not just necessarily unnecessarily treating something or somebody for something they don't have. Uh, you're also uh, potentially uh, having to uh, add layers and layers of treatment based on that, right? right? And so, if I if I suspect I'm an intensivist, I already talked about ED. I say I'm an intensivist, and and, and I'm, I'm you're presenting as if you're having seizures. Then I'm going to treat you as if you're having seizures. Well, that may will likely lead to an intubation and may have you in the ICU longer than had I not given you these highly sedative drugs. And so. And getting back to the spirit of why Cerebell was created, 
is that there was a, a there was an awareness that there was a clinical need to give faster, much quicker, but also reliable diagnostic information so that we can avoid unnecessary medications, unnecessary intubations, unnecessary admissions into the ICU, and, and to reduce a, a length of stay. I think some of the, th- one of the things that's so cool about this technology is just, you know, on a personal level, you've met my wife, you know, yes. also works at Mayo Clinic. Yeah. If she was sitting here, I'd say the same thing. Total, absolute hypochondriac. And yeah. so Mayo, it was a former Mayo doctor actually developed some technology for a portable echocardiogram, so EKG. And as opposed to every time you get a heart fl- flutter or a heart, your heart skips a beat, the fact you can pull this thing out that is synced to your iPhone and says, okay, you've got a normal, normal sinus rhythm, everything is good. It not only provides peace of mind, but in the event that there ever was an issue, if you could find out early, maybe that there was something wrong. I mean, that'd be, that'd be pretty incredible. Absolutely. Um, and so I think that in terms of what you're saying is the, that you, you can, you're giving people that do not have the specialized knowledge that people in neurology would, mm-hmm. you're giving them some tools to maybe not solve the problem, but to recognize it at, at what could be a critical time. That's very astute. Yeah, that's well said. It, it, it gives them the ability to put the patient on the right path up front, as opposed to potentially uh, treating them as if they have something they don't have indeed. And then also adding more layers of, of uh, complications and unnecessary treatment. Got it. Yeah. And so your company, Servo, you guys were founded in 2014. So relatively new company. Yeah. Is there anyone else in your space that you're competing against? Oh, that's a good question. Uh, yeah. There are other companies that have since come forth with uh, some you know solutions that that you know I'm hesitating here because the, the short answer is not really but there are some similar neurological conditions that are being targeted by other companies like ours other smaller smaller companies but it it might be we're currently we're 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 uh, singularly focused on non-convulsive seizures there are companies that are focusing on concussions or like brain bleeds or even brain death uh, but as far as any head-to-head competition as it relates to diagnosing uh, non-convulsive seizures, we really don't have any competition. For for the traditional machines, and if you can try to describe, I guess, the difference between your product and traditionally how you're going to get an EEG. Uh, so two questions for you, I guess. The traditional machines, first of all, who makes them? Who's the big player in that space? Uh, Natus, Neon Coden, those, those are the two biggest. Okay. Yeah. And what was that? What does that look like? Somebody, somebody goes, gets an EEG. What's the, <laughs> what's the process? Question. I love the yes. Yes. That question. So what it looks like today is what it looked like uh, 70 years ago. You know, the technology advancements with EEG and you know, I'm not trying to be too disparaging about it, but they ju- it, it just hasn't really changed. It's uh it's a big tower. A lot of times there are components to it that aren't used, but uh, you know, it's a comprehensive system that may have a monitor, a keyboard, you know, it literally is, uh, you know, di- uh, electrodes that are, that are glued to your scalp. So it re- requires shaving, you know, the patient's head first and, you know, gluing electrodes on and they're, uh, you know, it, it, it's, a uh, it's been kind of a static, uh, technology that hasn't changed much. And so it, it, it looks kind of foreboding to be honest with you. <laughs> I've seen pictures of these things. Yeah. 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 And what's um once you've you've ordered that patient now has had their head shaved, electrodes strapped on, how long does the test take? Oh, that's a good question too. So it depends on the the unit that's ordering them. So you know they're most commonly ordered in the ICU. Now, um, it's funny I can we can this conversation could take a totally different path. The ED isn't really suitable for conventional EEG. It's just not. The ED is a triage unit within the hospital to where. They need to identify what the problem is and get that patient moving to the right. And what unit. is the ED? 
the emergency department. Okay. Got yeah. It. And, and so that, you know, they, they could use EEG and we're finding that our utilization is actually matched in the ED, you know, with the ICU. Uh, but tr- conventional EEG is almost never used in the ED because simply it's just not built for an environment that's, that's really concerned with throughput, which is the ability to identify a patient's needs and get them in the right. And so yeah, they just uh, got to burn people through the nut. To physicians out there that might be listening, yeah, but emergency medicine, the way I've always looked at it, right or wrong, is you got to kind of roll these people through. There's an emergency, they're there for a reason. You got to you got to burn through that list as yeah. fast as you can and get them where they have to go. Yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah. So getting back to answering your question, uh, it's almost always going to happen in the ICU. So if you come in from the field into the ED, you're presenting is if you're uh well you you have altered mental status you're presenting with altered mental status as if you may have non-convulsive seizures or some abnormal neurological condition usually the the ED will admit you if that if the ED doesn't have cerebral I should say they would admit you into the ICU so they would uh, like more than likely give you an anti-epileptic drug and give you a bed and so at that point, that's where uh, EEG is normally ordered. And so at the bedside nurse will, will order EEG, will order the neurology consult. And a lot of times those two have to go hand in hand because you can't order a conventional EEG without knowing that you have a neurologist assigned to that EEG to read it. Because really going back to what I was saying earlier in this conversation, only neurologists can interpret EEGs and give you diagnostic information, right? right. So you can, to guide treatment. And so- the bedside nurse receives the patient in the ICU. They'll order uh, EEG. They'll order the neurology consult to make sure that it's going to be read, and then it's a waiting game. And look, a lot of hospitals do have a good EEG, co- conventional EEG coverage, to where they may get it, uh, you know, in an hour or two, maybe even less. Uh, and then, then you know, you 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 hook it up, you perform the EEG. The EEG is read by the neurologist, and then that in, that intensivist that's caring for you in the ICU will take that information to 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 basically make treatment decisions at that point. And you might not have an answer to this, but um, someone shows up in the emergency department, they're showing symptoms that would lead you to say, okay, we're going to send you to ICU. We're going to order this test. It would obviously vary depending on where in the country you are, what the hospital is. What does it cost? And any idea for, from, from admittance in the emergency room through that test being complete and them sitting in an IE in traditional way and them sitting in the ICU. So uh, part, part of my job is to walk uh, hospitals through an ROI that really identifies what it will cost them. Yeah. It, in I can't really give you a, like a number right now, but uh, I can tell you the components of the ROI. Um, the first thing is to have techs on on hand to perform the, these these procedures, right? And that's not a procedure, but to to perform EEGs, uh, you have to have them on hand. A lot of times they are on hand when hospitals do have EEG teams, they're on hand Monday through Friday, bankers hours, seven to three, eight to four. So 40 hours a week. Right. And so that, that that's, that's the, the one piece of it there. Now, a little sidebar on that is that it kind of sounds like a lot, right? Like yeah, five days a week, you know, eight to four. Well, what happens sometimes on Friday night? Exactly. You know? yeah. yeah. And it's when you look at, at uh, the, you know, patients don't conveniently have neurological issues Tuesday at 11 AM. It can happen, yeah. any, you know, to your point. And so, you know, 40 hours a week leaves 128 hours uncovered, you know? So, so it's not even two full days, you know, when you think about that, you know, yeah. 40 hours in a week. And so 
that that you know that's part of the ROI too. Is that like what would it cost the hospital to have techs? Uh, you know, say they're not there outside of those bankers' hours, but to your point, somebody comes in Friday night, Sunday morning, Christmas Day, whatever. How, what does it cost the hospital to have either techs on standby, or what's you know what are the on-call costs to get you know an EEG to come in in the middle of the night on a Saturday night? You know, the other side of that too is that what does it cost when you don't have an on-call tech? Right. What what does it cost the hospital? Say they come in, you know, Friday night. Anecdotally, I've heard so many. Yeah, we had somebody come in at five thirty. You know, and it's like we're not going to have EEG until Monday morning. So that that patient's going to get a bed and be on meds and really be on standby for almost three days at that point. What does that cost the hospital? And then, and what's uh, what's a potential legal liability too down the road if if they if you had some somebody that was coming in. I don't know any of the answers to this, but showing symptoms and it's Friday night and the test isn't actually administered until Monday morning, I would think that would open up, open a medical provider up to some liability. Yeah. It, and that's a good question. I, I can tell you in my year plus with Cerebral, uh, I haven't had any uh, legal conversations yeah. about that. And now, and, and I would suspect that, that it's, that it's not necessarily a legal issue. I mean, these are empirical treatment, meaning to, you know, give a patient uh, anti-epileptic drugs based on clinical suspicion, that's a gold standard treatment. That's not considered okay. uh, wrong or bad or anything like that. It's not malpractice. It's not negligent. It's just a hospital doing the best they can with the, with the capabilities that they have. Right. Um, but getting back to your question about cost, if if that patient comes in on, on Friday, so many different ways this conversation could go, but they, they come in Friday night post e, normal EEG hours, they're going to have a bed and be on standby and be on meds until Monday morning. And then the process starts. So it's not like Monday morning. It's, okay, it's like, okay, we have di- diagnostic information. We're ready to go. You know, at that point, it's going to be, okay, now let's get the EEG going. Let's get the neurology consult. Let's get the read. Let's find out what's really happening with this patient. And then the dominoes fall from there. So I, I want to say another thing that's important too, as it relates to that. And so when you look at, at, at a, you know, from an ROI perspective, there's also a dynamic that happens a lot and it it doesn't necessarily reflect the hospital, but they may elect to, as it relates to the ROI, another thing to consider too for hospitals is they may elect to ship out or, you know, to transfer that patient. That's costly to the hospital too, because again, this is somebody coming in from the field. There's a clinical suspicion that they might have a neurological uh, issue and rather than be able to diagnose it themselves, and then decide whether or not that patient is somebody they can keep, they'll just elect to ship that patient out. And, you know, that that's, you know, hospitals do not like to lose patients, especially ones that they could have cared for. Now, if that patient had higher needs than what that hospital's capabilities were, then by all means, that patient needs to be shipped out ASAP. And there should be no delay in that. But part of our value proposition is that with, with our diagnostic service, that they're able to keep the right patients, admit the right patients, not ship out and lose, you know, lose patients. There's a revenue side to that too. And, and, and that is happening. You know, we hear there's so many different ways this can go. Like I said, and I've probably said it like three times already, but you know, as it relates to ROI, honing back to that, shipping out patients that a hospital could have cared could for, it's very, 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 very painful. So I, I want to land the plane here because the yeah. ROI question you ask is a good one. This is a clinical service. It, it's what's right for the patient, but the ROI isn't really strong. And we've probably only been through about half of what we normally go through. Yeah. We normally have 
uh, singular focused meetings on ROI once there's a clinical understanding and buy-in where we even bring in a third-party consultant to come in that can speak to reimbursement, coding, because there's an ROI with this too. Most of the stuff I've been talking about has been more avoiding unnecessary costs. There's also a revenue opportunity with diagno properly diagnosing upfront these patients that comes with, with using Cerebell. And that means that that basically since when hospitals bring on Cerebell, they're doing a lot more EEG. So where the, e the emergency department wasn't doing right. EEGs before, now they're doing EEGs. So they're they're diagnosing disease states that are that weren't being diagnosed before, which if that patient, it's been substantiated that they do have seizures and they do get a bed in the ICU. Now, now we've basically validated how sick these patients are. And so they're the the DRG, so like the, the you know the overall the the baseline revenue that goes to to a lengthy ICU stay goes up because you're adding uh, comorbidities and major comorbidities to to the to the that baseline revenue. So, you know that that that's a part of it too. So maybe we can move on from the ROI <laughs> thing. But I mean, it was it was a very 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 good question. But it it, it you and I could do a, a single podcast on the ROI side of this, because similar to how we, you know, when we're targeting hospitals and hospitals are assessing whether or not they're going to bring in Cerebell, there are, like I said, well, singular it, focused meetings had on the ROI. It's got to make sense. I mean, every, you know, even, even nonprofit hospitals, they have to at least not run a gigantic loss, you know? Right. So we, we live on, like it or not, we live on an economic planet and all this stuff has to financially make sense. Yeah. And so, you know, compared with your system, so you guys, I'm actually, I asked chat GPT, by the way, I said, tell me about the Cerebell EEG system. It gave me eons of stuff, but it basically yeah. says it's disposable headband on the patient's head. So there's no shaving, shaving and nodes yes. and all this other stuff. No, no glue and razor blades. Exactly. Yeah. It, it, it detects any abnormal activity and it basically then transmits all this data to a mobile app on a, start, on a smartphone or, it, or a tablet. And I'm no, no not quite. Okay. No, very, very, very close. So we issue our hospitals recorders that are uh, basically like PDAs. Okay. And so, yeah, it, it, you're you're kind of right in that the our portal can be accessed by smartphones. Okay. But that but that's more for a neurologist to either read a function that we provide called seizure burden, which is basically a numerical value on how much, if any, seizure activity the patient had, or to actually go in and read the EEG. What the bedside clinician gets at at the bedside in real time is, is through the information they get, the data they get is through a handheld recorder okay. that's your, actually it's your machine. Yeah. And Got it's it. actually connected to the headband that's connected to the patient. Got it. And and in terms of putting this thing on, how long does it take to administer this test to somebody? From start to finish, yeah. you can order Cerebell, put it on and get diagnostic information within about five or six minutes. Five or six minutes. Yeah. Okay. It, it Sometimes ordering it may take five minutes, but that yeah. has nothing to do with Cerebell. But w once, it, once it's ordered and the decision made to... to to, okay, we're going to do a cerebral study on this patient. Then it's 30 seconds to put the headband on. Again, no shaving, glue, any of that. I mean, it just, it's spandex. It, it, it's a one size fits all for adults. You put it on, you activate the electrodes and you do have to wait up to five minutes for enough data, enough EEG data to upload and yeah. to be interpreted. And, and then that that's it. And then it's not just that too. So, you know, you get this upfront diagnostic information that tells you whether or not there's, there's a, Seizures happening with this patient, but you also, if there are seizures, it's left on. 
and, and it and it guides uh, the bedside clinician for uh, how they're going to be uh, treating that patient going forward, right? And so it's a uh, it's very fluid in that sense. So it's a trend line that's constantly updating, you know. And so if you detect seizures, you will treat and you will give some sort of uh, anti-epileptic drug that will you know break the seizure. And then, but you you would more than likely leave it on in that case to see how that patient is responding to it. First of all, to ensure that you actually broke the seizure activity that was happening, but then also to maybe guide future doses and, and future treatment. And it can be used for up to 24 hours. And so, and so in the handheld, because you mentioned, obviously, you don't have people from neurology that know how to read the traditional the traditional reports. Yeah. People in the ER, they're pretty smart, you know, whether nurse practitioners, whether the ER doctors, they can look at this data and are they now getting some sort of an AI component from the device that is alerting them to, hey, here's abnormalities where maybe if, if a lay person looked at it, they wouldn't see it. Well, I want to make sure I understand the question. Yeah, the, the, the whole idea of uh, the interpreted uh, EEG is so that anybody can understand. So it. like I could, as an as not a medical professional, yeah. I could look at this thing and not know how to treat it or do anything else, but I but I could know there's something wrong. A hundred percent. And that okay. yeah, yeah. So your question was spot on. Yeah. And and so that that and that's the idea is that really the bedside clinician gets a numerical value to percentage and and it's basically a, a rolling five minute snapshot. Okay, and, and that percentage is indicative of how much seizure activity during that rolling five minutes the patient had. And it updates every 10 seconds. So that, that number is, yeah. if there is seizure activity, is going to be changing, you know, almost in, 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 in you know, uh, constantly, yeah. you know, if there is seizure activity. And so, yeah, and that's the idea between the numerical value and the trend line that tells you what, you know, what, if any seizure activity that patient has. And then um, getting back to your question about the layperson, I mean, it's it's really just, you know, the number and, and we give them a workflow. I shouldn't say we give them a workflow. We create a workflow with it, input from the physicians that dictates what they do with that data. It's not really Cerebell's place to say, oh, if it's, you know, X amount, this is what you do. Right. But, but as part of our pre-launch process, uh, we gather input from the, the emergency physicians, the intensivists in the ICU, and also the reading neurologist on the back end to basically say, okay, if it's zero to 10, which is normal to, to very, very minimal, what is our plan? If it's 11 to 49 or even 11 to 89, and, you know, so it's kind of in that middle zone, what is our plan? And then if it's 90 plus, that's a condition called status epilepticus. That's an absolute medical emergency that requires immediate attention. A lot of times leads to a neurology consult. And so it, it, it's really simplified and from that standpoint, it's, it's, and this is something that I get involved in. So we trained to this when we launch hospitals, because again, this is something that has been, there's been input from the physicians. There's an alignment across the hospital as far as like what this workflow is. And so it's the device giving numerical info, you know, uh, numerical data that shows them exactly how much seizure activity is happening. And then for them, it's one of three or maybe four, the most courses of action from, from getting that data. Now, let's say someone's caring for for a person that um, is is having challenges with seizures. Is this device going to be for sale for the non-medical market, just the layperson as well? We, we've had that question uh, quite a bit. I shouldn't say quite a bit, but uh, I personally have been asked that maybe about a half a dozen times in a year, which is a fair amount, right? As it stands right now, uh, there are no plans for home use or uh, end user patient use. Got it. Yeah. Got it. So I guess another question is, you know, all this stuff has to get paid for somehow. Are, are, are hospitals buying the device? Are they buying the software? What are they actually acquiring? Uh, good, good question. Yeah. No, it's a subscription. 
Uh, so it's okay. so similar to most software packages. Now, the one major difference is Cerebell, and I'm still blown away by this because I know firsthand how much goes into implementing it is that there are no upfront implementation costs and there are mm -hmm. no capital costs either. So we provide uh, the equipment to go along with the, the service and, and, it, and it, it's a subscription. Okay, that's really, yeah. really cool. We really bet on ourselves. I will say from our perspective, it's a little labor intensive to, from our perspective, it's a little labor intensive to implement because we require so much input from so many different stakeholders within the hospital. And there are a lot of meetings that where a lot of people are weighing in and, and it's, it, it's from a standpoint too, of assuring understanding it's a, it's a cross functional solution basically that will, it touches so many different departments. It may start in one and end up in the other. In fact, it's common for, you know, cerebral to be put on a patient in the emergency room and then have the cerebral follow the patient in the ICU. Right. And so we just have to touch so many yeah, really all departments, all the departments and all the players within the departments. And so uh, it just requires a lot of upfront onboarding training, again, input for the workflow. And then like I, I spend the better part of two weeks with my launches. So let, let me ask you this, because you've, you've come from a background where you've been big medical corporate America. You're now with a relatively younger company, you know, eight, 10 years, roughly Yeah. Uh, working with innovative, disruptive technology. How, what's, how's it just different from your perspective from going from like a Beckton Dickinson or, or a company they acquired, obviously, yeah. to Cerebell. Just uh, aside from the product, give me an give me a feel for what it's what it's like to work on this sort of you know leading edge of the healthcare <laughs> tech world. That's a great question. I love it. it. It is vastly different. You know, if I can go back to my younger self, I don't have I don't really have any regrets about my career, but the startup environment is entirely different than what I experienced at Boston Scientific and BD, uh, even Carl Stortz, uh, which is kind of, real, you know, size-wise more like in the in the middle zone. They're definitely not a startup. They've been around for a while, uh, but they're not quite as big, big as a Boston or a BD. Uh, but the startup environment is very fun. It, it Things grow and change. Uh, you have to be nimble in the startup environment. You know, I've been there a year and I, I feel like I have seen a lot of change and growth to to a very high level, and, and it, it's a lot of fun. So what have you seen? You know, one of the things we've seen, at least in, in my industry, is obviously 2020, 2021, even in the early, very early 2022, people are throwing money at anything. Mm -hmm. That's changed a lot you know, yeah. in the last year or so. Yeah. Have have you seen that, at least in whether it's with Cerebral or with other counterparts, that that, that capital is a little harder to acquire these days? Absolutely. Yeah. 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 And uh, I'm thankful as a representative of this company that I don't have to deal with that. Right. Uh, yeah. Uh, if we were either, if there was a capital acquisition as a part of this process, that would, that would add a layer of complexity and it wouldn't be as beneficial for the hospital. If, if there was a lengthy uh, or I'm sorry, a costly implementation or, a, you know, a service contract and things like that, these, these would all be a major barriers. Yeah, it's yeah. it, and it's kind of to to your point anyway. It's interesting when you can you're almost depending on the length of the contract you're giving the provider a a glimpse of what can happen if they incorporate this into their practice, which I think is pretty cool. Yeah. So well, getting back to our betting on ourselves, uh, we don't uh, do the contracts. Yeah. So our our contracts are, are uh, thirty day out. So there's no. Uh, so That's not it. only is there so you're no, not locking you're not locking in a provider in for a year, no. two years, or more. No. So you're betting that the the experience that they're going to have and and the 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 impact they can make with their patients and and their bottom line is going to be big enough to continue to to have them coming back. Absolutely, we we literally carry all the burden 
which speaks to how much confidence there is that once a hospital implements this into their practice, they're going to see so much value uh, from both a, a quality of care perspective and the ROI perspective that we talked about that, that they're, they're going to leave it. They're going to use it. Let me ask you another question. I have the greatest respect as even as a child, I was taught to revere salespeople in the sense that everybody to some, to some degree is selling something. The physician is selling you a treatment. So, you know, one of the things that, that, that I wonder here is if you're going to make any product or service successful, you've got to be able to market it. Mm-hmm. So how, how are you guys getting access to the decision makers where you can possibly get this product in the door? Brent, that's a really good question. One of the best and, 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 the most highly utilized slash awesome resources that we have is a panel of, of providers that, that join calls with us. And really they join our sales efforts. And, uh, these are providers that use it, uh, in practice at, at their hospitals. They can, can speak to our offering in a way that there's a credibility because these are, these are peer to peer conversations. Right. And so they're having conversations with people that walk in their shoes that not only deal with treating non-convulsive seizures, detecting and treating non-convulsive seizures, but they, all the other things that they deal with. And that's a perspective I don't have. My, my focus is very narrow and it's, it's about, uh, uh, you know, EEG and, you know, point of care EEG and, and, and even within EEG, it, it's singular focused on, on uh, detecting and treating non-convulsive seizures. And so these peer-to-peer conversations are awesome. So I get to sit on, I, I facilitate them. And, and sometimes I'll use it as a carrot. You know, if I, I feel like getting back to your question about, about, you know, the sales plight, if I feel like things are growing stagnant, uh, that that's, that's very appealing to somebody that, that needs to be a part of that process sure. to not talk to a salesperson. And I don't mind saying that as a salesperson, you know, and sometimes that I'll, I'll tee that up as, is the value is that look, because part of my process is to, to, you know, you never stop it at, at, at any amount of stakeholders that you have. We grind and grind and grind until we have everybody that could potentially weigh in on this, that, you know, they're involved. And so if I feel like there's some stagnancy within my sales cycle and I haven't done the peer-to-peer, which I go to it pretty quickly because it's a, that's an awesome resource, but I'll have, you know, a coach or a champion within the hospital to say, hey, do me a favor. Let's propose a peer-to-peer and so this individual knows that they're not going to get, uh, you know, into a meeting or on a Zoom, whatever, with a salesperson. Right. They're going to talk to another intensivist, another neurointensivist, an emergency physician, uh, a neuroservice line director, yeah, uh, or another neurologist. Right. So it's not sales speak. It's not coming from a, you know, not that we're not valuable or any of that stuff. I'm not trying to be too disparaging about salespeople, but. I, uh, we're trying to make it as comfortable and as credible for the stakeholders that are going to be weighing in on this and assessing whether or not they're going to be be uh, bringing on Cerebell. And and it, it, it's it's the, really the single best resource I've ever been able to use in my career as a salesperson. I mean, it sounds like it would be just because you're getting, you know, they're getting feedback from people that are actually using this on the ground. Now, yeah. I'm going to put you on the spot here, hit you with a couple of random questions that have nothing to do with Cerebell. You up for it? All right, perfect. Let's do it. let's go. You can teleport right now immediately to any place on planet Earth. Where is it? <laughs> right now? Right now. I have baseball practice for our little league team That's here. That's true. Like That's true. Not even an hour and a half. <laughs> I can't go anywhere. Um Coach Dean right. takes over. You can you can still teleport <laughs> okay. anywhere. Okay, perfect. All right. So assuming uh little league practice is taken care of and uh I actually play too. I have a game on Sunday. So I really I mean I'm stuck here in Phoenix this weekend. But if I could teleport anywhere right now, let's see, end of February. Where do I want to be end of February? That's a really good question. 
Okay, th- this is where I would go. Let's hear it. It's Northern Light. Yeah. Yeah. And is. so uh, I have been to Reykjavik once. Uh, it was during late December. In fact, it was, uh, I saw the Northern Lights on Christmas Eve. Um, Pretty awesome. Back yep. in, when was that? Like 2009-ish. Uh, I think it was 2009. Yeah. And so maybe I wouldn't go back to Reykjavik, but I would head out that way. And it could be uh, somewhere in Scandinavia, we'll say. I'm not okay. too picky. Right. And uh, get out there, bring the warm winter gear, uh, you know, obviously, and uh, and post up under the northern lights. I like it. Favorite yeah. book all time. Oh, favorite book. Uh, you know, <laughs> I have to admit, uh, I'm a huge uh, music fan, as you know, yep. and also a sports fan. So most of my reading comes from, you know, ESPN.com and, and uh, you know, Pitchfork and things like that. But but uh, uh I'm I'm gonna go. I'm gonna take the the easy way out here. I'm gonna give you my favorite book that has helped me professionally, and it's a book called Sales EQ. Okay, and I've not heard of that one. It, it's great. It's by an author named Jeb Blount, and uh, I've been at a at a conference where he has presented a lot of his ideologies. And uh, the single reason why I love Sales EQ is because it takes the best elements of a lot of other sales processes that have been taught into one. I literally feel that if I were to have read sales EQ, you know, right out of college as a, as a young salesperson, I may not need to read all the other books I ended up reading over the past 20 plus years, you know, because it, it really, um, it really factors in, uh, you know, a lot of it. And it's much more, it's funny that it's called sales EQ because, Sales EQ or, or one of the four Qs that that he addresses in that book. It, it's there's IQ, there's AQ, there's TQ, uh, and he he does a good job of covering all of them. And and but but then like I said, more importantly, uh, you know I like to be efficient and productive as it relates to seeking you know professional help and and a lot of these sales processes that I've been taught. And that one captures everything. Oh, definitely check that out. Last question: best con. I know you're a music guy. Best yeah. concert ever. <laughs> so I've, been, I've had this question so much and i always go back to, to uh my first show <laughs> so uh my first show uh was on halloween night 1992 okay and uh this show is actually really pretty well known it was made into a video that did really well for this artist and that was uh danzig white zombie and caius no way all right yeah. there you yeah. go it's a whole different side of it yeah yeah <laughs> and i'm telling you well i'm a big uh, glenn danzig fan and a becoming a big uh white zombie slash rob zombie fan and then uh the the third band so the one that played when the you know there it was still light out and they got their 20 minute set this band caius uh actually uh became one of those bands that never had huge commercial success but it's one of those if you know you know bands and the lead guitarist of that band was Josh Homme, who went on to form Queens of the Stone Age. Oh, wow. Okay. And yeah. I, I, I'm but definitely a fan of Queens of the Stone Age, too. So, uh, yeah. So I was 19 years old, Halloween night, 1992, Irvine Meadows Amphitheater. Uh, I I actually did a speech for Toastmasters recently on that show. So I'm pretty well versed in, in nice. everything about that <laughs> night. But uh, that there was a video uh, that, that came out of that that end up uh, putting Danzig in another stratosphere uh, commercially. Uh, and it, it was just, it's just a perfect night and it happens to be my first show. I've probably seen over 200 cents, but that, that was the best. Awesome. Well, Nate, Hey, thank you so much for, for joining me to talk about this. I think, you know, this kind of stuff really excites me because you're, 
the the creativity, the innovation that happens across industries. I'm I'm just a firm believer that all this stuff sort of moves moves the human experience forward. And yep. to the extent that um that people are out there creating products and services and devices that help with that, I, I love having these conversations, particularly for some of these younger companies that are doing cool stuff. So awesome! Yeah, thanks for taking some time this afternoon. Sure. I I enjoyed this. Yeah, it was great. I'll Thank be you. back next Friday. All right. What's up, Mouse? We'll bring we'll have a six pack of beer here waiting as well. <laughs> Sounds good. This has been fantastic, Nate. You know, here's the thing. Brent never said uh, what year it had to be where if you wanted to teleport yourself anywhere you wanted to go, you could go back, true. Right back to that point. concert. I'm just saying, you know. Just well, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> hey, you know, uh, th so this has been a fantastic podcast. I know that we need to wrap up. Brent, uh, thank you so much for bringing Nate on. Nate, thank you for spending time with Brent. Uh, great content. Yeah. Amazing, amazing stuff being developed. So thank you so much for that. And of yeah. course, our last... Our last uh, thank you goes to you, the listening audience. Thank you so much for tuning in and listening to the Smart Money Simplified podcast with Brent Mikosh. If you have not subscribed to the podcast yet, please click the subscribe now button below. This way, when Brent comes out with a new podcast, it'll show up directly on your listening device. And we humbly ask that you share this podcast, rate it, and leave a review, as this actually does help others find the show. Again, thank you so much for listening today. For everyone at MP Advisors, this is Eric Johnson reminding you to live your best day every day. And we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to this episode of Smart Money Simplified Podcast. Have any questions about topics covered during the show? Visit www.smartmoneysimplified.com or give us a call at 602-255-0555. Don't forget to click the follow button below to be notified when new episodes become available. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the hosts and or guests and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of Raymond James Financial Services Incorporated. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional financial advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service providers with any questions you may have regarding your individual situation. Securities are offered through Raymond James Financial Services Incorporated, member FINRA, and SIPC. Investment advisory services offered through Raymond James Financial Services Advisors Incorporated, MP Advisors, LLC, is not a broker slash dealer and is independent of Raymond James Financial Services.